We're continuing in our series called DTR, Defining Relationship Dynamics. One of the most basic things we know about God is that he is a God of relationships. A, because in the Trinity, his very existence is a relationship. And B, because after we broke our relationship with God, he himself died to put us back into right relationship with him. Relationship is so important to God that his very being lives in relationship and he's willing to die to restore it. And God has a vision for what each type of relationship in life is meant to be. God looks at all the categories of relationships that we have in our lives, and he knows the best way each of those is meant to look like. In our minds, sometimes we have an idea for what relationships are or what they look like. But then we spend time with God and we ask him, what should my relationship look like in this instance? And he pulls us into whole new ways of being and relating. God's view of relationships pushes us further and deeper than we imagine. Today I want to talk about the way that God pushes us further and deeper in our friendships, how he broadens and widens our understanding of what it means to have friends and be friends. I'm not going to tell you how to make friends today or how to keep friends, but I want to share a picture of what friendship could be if we had the courage to pursue it. Because sometimes I think we need to catch a picture of what could be. There's things that are possible that we aren't imagining, that we're not thinking of. We have one idea, and we need to be shown a different idea. For example, recently I learned that cheese could be more than I ever thought it could be. So I didn't grow up with string cheese, and earlier this year, I, I've had string cheese, but I always just kind of like bit into it, and it, the name just puzzled me, because I thought, like, why don't they just call it rope cheese, because string is not that skinny. And then earlier this year, I don't know if I like watched a kid eating it or whatever, but I saw them peeling and it came off in strings. And this like light bulb went off in my head like, ah, they call it string cheese because of this. And it totally changed my understanding of cheese. Like I, I had this one way that I imagined cheese could be. And then my whole world was opened up into a new way that cheese could be. And I think it's the same thing. Like, we have an idea of what friendship could be, and I think God says, oh, and here's this whole other world of what friendship could be. So let's talk about that. Um, I want to look at three things. One, the way we might think about friendship in our culture today. Two, how God expresses friendship to us, or how he is a friend to us. And three, how God's friendship to us can challenge the way that we are friends with each other. So first, what friendship looks like in our culture. You may have seen this meme floating around the internet, and it says, nobody talks about Jesus' miracle of having 12 close friends in his 30s. <laughs> it's true. We're in a time when it seems hard to make friends and keep friends, and a lot of us are lonely. Even our word friend in English, English is shallow and anemic. For instance, most notoriously, we all have Facebook friends, right? Which can be a whole slew of things. I was thinking about different Facebook friends that I've had in the course of my Facebook years. And these have included, uh, there was somebody I needed to partner with for a project in biology class in college. And it was like, oh, let's communicate through Facebook. And then I never spoke to that person again. Um, there was an instance where I, through a convoluted series of circumstances, I needed to split a hotel room with a stranger. And so we became friends on Facebook, but again, never saw that person again. <laughs> and then, um, I don't know what it is about older people, but friends of my parents will sometimes friend me. I have no idea who they are, so I have some of those. And we all have friends like that. And clearly they're not friend friends, but we call them friends. They're just not friends on any, any meaningful level. 
And I was thinking like, okay, this means that we have a poverty of vocabulary. Just like in English, we don't really have a, a good um, variety of the word for love. Like we say, I love chocolate, and I love God, and I love my family. And we use the same word for all of those. I was thinking like, okay, like we just have one word for friendship. But I think it's more than just a poverty of words. I think we also have a poverty of concept. I think we don't have a good vision for what friendship could be, and I think this contributes to our loneliness. We have friends we see once a week at church. We have coworkers who are friends. We have neighbors who are friends. We have school friends, friends we go to the gym with, friends we watch movies with. And these are great friends, and I'm thankful for these people. But if these are the only kinds of friends we have, we're missing out on something something pretty great and even better than string cheese. When I look at scripture, I see this much deeper layer of friendship that I don't really see much of in our culture today. We see it in some of the more outstanding examples of friendship in the Bible. If you think, who are friends in the Bible? You probably think of David and Jonathan and Ruth and Naomi, some really outstanding examples of friendship. But we also see this spectacular kind of friendship in God and his friendship to us, which is the second thing I want to talk about how God expresses this friendship to us. One thing I learned when I was studying this is that God expresses, expresses friendship to us through covenant. The idea of covenant is very important in scripture because it makes up the backbone of the story of God in us. Covenant is choosing to commit to someone no matter what. And throughout scripture, God covenants with his people, choosing to be in relationship and promising he will always be their God no matter what. Covenant is different from a contract in a contract, if one person breaks their end of the deal, it's over. The contract is void. But a covenant is permanent, even when one side doesn't hold up their end. And with God, even when we break our end, he's committed to us forever because he has covenanted with us. There are a number of covenants mentioned in the Bible, uh, three of them. The covenant with Abraham was when God chose Abraham and made the promise to him that he would um, make his descendants a great nation and through them all peoples on earth would be blessed. There's the Mosaic Covenant where God chose the people of Israel and said, you are my treasured possession. And then finally, we have the New Covenant in Jesus where God fulfilled all his covenant promises and brought all people on earth into covenant relationship with him. Here's the interesting thing. At each of these major covenants, we learn that God entered into covenant specifically through the relationship of a friend. About Abraham, the Bible says, Abraham believed and it was credited to him for righteousness and he was called God's friend. That's James 2.23. Exodus 33.11 says, The Lord spoke with Moses face to face just as a man speaks with his friend. In John 15, Jesus tells the disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command. I do not call you slaves anymore because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. In each of these very significant turning points in God's interaction with humanity, he approached us as a friend. God uses many metaphors for the different types of relationships he has with us, father, king, husband, shepherd, priest, but when God made these covenants, he called himself our friend. When Jesus spoke of his sacrifice for us, he phrased it in terms of friendship. He said, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And reading that, reading that God approached us in these very solemn, serious moments under the mantle of friendship made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. 
Because in my head I was thinking, wait, this is kind of a big deal. Like covenants are huge and maybe God should come in like a more official capacity. And it seemed to me that this was too big of a deal for God to come as just a friend. And that's where I think we have not only a poverty of words, but a poverty of concept. Because I think the reason I feel uncomfortable, and maybe some of us feel uncomfortable, about God approaching us in these world-changing moments as a friend is because we don't get how seriously God takes friendship. My understanding of friendship is not the understanding of friends that the Bible points to. In Deuteronomy 13, verse 6, there's a friendship that is described like this. Your friend who is as your own soul which sounds to me something more than a person you grab coffee with. As I said already, we see David and Jonathan and Ruth and Naomi who committed to each other in a covenant way. Proverbs tells us there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's some deep, meaningful level of friendship going on here. Theologian Ron Belgau writes, without understanding the depth of friendship which was possible in the ancient world, and understanding what covenant friendship meant to the ancient Israelites, we cannot understand why the Bible describes Abraham, Moses, and the Twelve as God's friends, or why human covenant that the Bible describes in the greatest depth is a friendship, not a marriage. This lack of understanding, in turn, inhibits our ability to understand both God's love and his covenants with us. If we think of friendship, as essentially tentative and transitory, that we enjoy our friends in high school and college, but then lose track of them when we move on, we will not understand the radical commitment that God expects from his friends. The radical commitment that God expects from his friends. Think about that. How does God's expression of friendship through covenant challenge the way we are called to be friends with him and with each other? What characterizes God's friendship? There's lots of things. I'll zero in on three. God was present with his friends. He tells Moses repeatedly, I will be with you. Moses is scared. I can't go to Pharaoh. I can't do this. I can't drag these people around the the desert with me. And God keeps telling Moses, I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. Jesus tells the disciples this too. Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God never left his friends, never abandoned them, was forever present. If it's 3 a.m., God is there. We took a wrong turn, literally or metaphorically, God is there. Do we need someone to talk to? God is there. To quote my favorite ska band, The Supertones, when I think I'm all alone on the road or when at home, every time I have to sneeze, every single breath I breathe, when I'm in a dentist chair, anywhere and everywhere, God's there. God was loyal to his friends. He never gave up on his friends. Think about how often they were messed up, and yet God never pulled away. Look at the nation of Israel and all the times they wandered off. But God keeps saying, you're mine, you're mine, I'm not giving up on you. I chose you, I've covenanted with you. And it's with individuals too. Abraham takes matters into his own hands and births Ishmael. David goes off the deep end. Peter betrays Jesus. Yet God's loyalty to his friends never wavers. God confided in his friends. In Genesis 18, God is musing on his plans for Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says to himself, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And then he says to himself, no, like I should include Abraham in this. And so he and Abraham have this entire back and forth dialogue where God is saying, 
this is what I'm going to do with this city. And Abraham counters, like, what about this? And God says, okay, but what about this? And they go back and forth. And God, it seems like he changes his plan for this city based on his conversation with Abraham. He takes Abraham into his mind and into his business. In John 15, 15, the verse I already mentioned before, Jesus says the distinction between friends and servants is that a friend knows what the master, what the other friend is doing. A servant doesn't know his master's business. But Jesus says, I've called you friends for everything I learned from the Father I've made known to you. God, the God of the universe, does not hold us at arm's length. He invites us into the deep places of his heart and his thinking. In friendship, God seeks to know and be known. God's good idea for friendship that he gives to us is one of mutual giving that involves commitment to one another through the good and the bad. There's sacrifice. God sacrificed his own son for relationship to us. He laid down his life for us, his friends. God's idea of friendship is inconvenient, it's costly, but it's also joyful because it's not a fleeting friendship. It's not something that passes after a few years. Although there will not be marriage in heaven, our friendships will be eternal. And as a church, I think we're really good at talking about marriage and family. But have we lost this treasure of friendship along the way? Imagine if we had the kind of friendships that took on the characteristics of the covenant friendship God has for us, where we pledged ourselves to one another through thick and thin, where we laid down our lives for each other, where we looked after each other and each other's families, where we let go of our own plans for the sake of one another, where we cared for each other no matter what, where we never gave up on one another. Imagine how our lives would change. I think it's important to mention I'm not saying we should do this for all friendships. Uh, Jesus, as an expert on friendship, gives us a picture of layers of friendship. Uh, we know he had circles of friends. He had the inner three, of which I think John was particularly close and then the 12, and then the 70. Um, God knows we're finite. We can only have finite relationships. And every friendship, no matter what level it's at, is a gift. But we have the capacity for the kinds of friendships that are as serious as the friendship that God wants for us. And I hope that each of us will pray for and pursue those kinds of friendships. So I'd like to end with moving things out of the abstract into some tangible examples of what this kind of friendship could look like. And I drew these examples from a very sophisticated survey method of talking to my Facebook friends. I asked people on Facebook, tell me about times you've experienced true friendship. And here are some of the ones that um, I pulled. And some of these came from you guys, so thank you. Dropping everything to watch my kid when I was too sick to move. Showing up from out of town without being asked to a family member's funeral. When you are really down and your friend just comes and sits with you without saying anything, maybe holds your hand or lets you lay your head on her shoulder. Buying me hot chocolate at two in the morning when I was a little sloppy and casually questioning life choices. I had a lot of postpartum anxiety and then I went back to work and it just got worse from there. I came home from work one Friday and four of my friends who knew how I was struggling had cleaned my house from top to bottom better than I ever had, left dinner in the crock pot and an encouraging note with an offer to watch our baby for a date night. When my brother died, a friend drove over at a late hour to sit by my side and help put my son to bed. A different friend sincerely offered to fly with me across country to where my brother lived so I wouldn't have to fly alone. 
After I got divorced, I cried a lot. I was anxious for months. I called friends, often asking for comfort and encouragement. They gave it skillfully, tenderly, and though it must have been a difficult burden for them to carry, they didn't make me feel like I was a burden. A few years ago, I was drowning in untreated depression. One day after we'd gotten together, my friend called me and said that she had scheduled an appointment for me with her daughter's therapist. She was going to pay for the first session and she was going to pick me up and drive me there, depending on if I agreed. No one else could see how depressed I was, but she could. To this day, I maintain that she saved my life. And this was my favorite one. My sister lost her wallet in a Cane's chicken once, and her bestie, who was a vegetarian, dumpster dove to help her find the wallet. <laughs> Hashtag true friendship. <laughs> uh, but perhaps all of these examples can best be summed up by a three-word answer that one person gave. Just showing up. It's an echo of, I will be with you. When I read these comments on Facebook, it made me think that these are real world examples of the kind of friendship that we can have with God and with each other. This is what's waiting for us. Where do we start with these kind of friendships? I don't have a prescription, but I do know that we love because he first loved us. God extends the offer of friendship to us. He wants to be friends with us. That kind of friendship that he had with Abraham and Moses and the disciples, we too are invited into that relationship. This isn't just for the big, the big four, the big 14. This is for each one of us in our relationship with God. We are invited in as covenant friends of God. And as God pours his love into us, and as we learn to imitate him, God calls us into deeper, truer friendship with each other. And maybe we will even find a friendship or two that is the sharing of souls. Let's go ahead and pray.